Vakir. I am Sador of the Mount Mori. I have come with my forces to conquer you. If you resist, I will crush you. I possess a stellar converter, the most powerful weapon in the universe. You cannot resist me. Well, welcome back to Man Cave Movie Reviews, Episode 7. It is 7, right, Mark? 7. We are on 7. We are on 7. And uh, today, we will be reviewing a great, well, not so great. Actually, it's kind of a crappy movie. Uh, It's called Battle Beyond the Stars. And uh, we're actually doing this uh, in dedication to our good and dear friend, Jeff Cloverfield Muncie, who is unable to uh, join us today due to some family uh, obligations that he's already had. Uh, but joining us in this review is my good and dear friend, Mark, who the hell designed this spaceship, Clover. Hey, Steve, who can we find to be a whiny Luke Skywalker clone? I know, John Boy. <laughs> okay, I'm crossing that run off my note because you beat me to it. <laughs> You got that one, too, huh? Oh, my God. I don't know about this movie, man. I, I don't know about this. Uh, you know, I got to say, we're taking one for Jeff on this one. He owes us big. Yeah, we're, we're taking one. Yeah, we're definitely taking one for the team here. Uh, for our listeners, the reason we're doing this movie is because uh, Jeff couldn't make it tonight, and he sends his uh, regrets. However, rather than do... Uh, a really good movie that we would all enjoy and have a lot of fun talking about. We decided to do uh, a really bad movie uh, and have some fun with it. And this movie is called Battle Beyond the Stars. It was made in 1980, and I was how old was I? 13. I was 13 uh, when this I'm movie came out. Tell you how old I was. Yeah. Well, yeah. We. Well, yeah. Well, let's see. You got to get out the abacus for that one, but that's okay. Uh, and actually the, the interesting thing about it is I did not see it when it first came out. I actually saw it about a year or two afterwards. You saw, Uh, wait, you saw this movie? No. Yeah. I originally saw this. See, this is the first time I've ever seen this thing. I need to stay away when I I saw, when I saw the trailers at the theater, I just thought, "Mm, stinker. So this was a first time for me. Okay. See, I, I didn't even see a trailer for this thing. I had no idea. I just, I don't know if it, it was a couple of years afterwards. I remember seeing it. I was at, um, I think it was at a cousin's house. They were, they were having some kind of a, you know, family gathering or something like that. So I, I remember sitting in the, in their, uh, basement watching this on TV. And that's the only time I saw it. I might have been, at that point, I might have been 14, 15 years old. And even at that time, I remember sitting there going, good Lord, this movie sucks. And Yeah, yeah, we're reviewing this movie, so you don't have to watch it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, are going to, uh, we are going to give this one a really good review, so you, uh, you listeners out there uh, will learn to stay away. Or you may say, like most people, train wreck? Where? Let me go see. It could, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it could be like Bravo. that. And... Um, uh, first, I just want to say, and I apologize for my listeners from last week, but uh, and anybody picks up this paraphrase quote, 
Uh, note to the galley, Maker's Mark uh, no longer allowed during podcasts. Oh. Enough said. Oh, <laughs> all right. That goes. <laughs> you obviously didn't listen to the last podcast. All oh, I yes. Say, I was yes, very, I did. Yeah, I was very congested, yep. okay? I was really, really congested. I know. Okay, so that was you. I thought that was me. Okay. No, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So anyway, right. make, well, Maker's Mark. What no are we more. drinking? What am I drinking tonight? We are actually yeah. going with a, uh, I'm, you know what? I'm sticking. I'm watching my weight, so I'm sticking with some Guinness. Well, there you go. Always got, good to watch your weight, that girlish figure of yours. Of course. I've got my. Uh, I've got a, uh, a nice four-pack of, uh, of Guinness sitting here chilled, waiting, uh, waiting patiently to be. I'm still waiting for the first one. I popped open to... Uh, uh, you know, for the kettle to settle. That's it, the settle. I think. Yeah. And what do you? Yeah, drink? Well, what do you? Well, have? you're going to need all four for this one. <laughs> I might have to go get the hard stuff after this, depending how well, well this goes. I I started with the hard stuff. I went for the Woodford Reserve right up front. Then I'm going to downshift into uh, some Blue Moon in a little while. But I thought I'm I'm going to need the brown liquor now. Yep. Yep. We probably should. We probably should. Uh, for those of you who have not seen this movie, and, and I'm guessing it's probably quite a few because it's not well known. Uh, God knows why, uh, considering how bad it was. But this movie uh, is about uh, seven futuristic mercenaries are assembled to defend a helpless farm colony world from an evil overlord. And that's pretty much the IMBD uh, plot of it, and that pretty much sums it up. And if you figured out it's a ripoff of Seven Samurai and Magnificent Seven, you're right. It is. It is. And and, and a you bad pretty, one. Yeah, it's a very bad ripoff, and it is. Uh, gosh, you know, I, you know, I really don't know what to say about this thing as far as when you look at the cast, and that's you know that was the first thing that. Uh, I even noticed at the time when I was a kid, when this movie came out, you're looking at pretty well-established actors. Uh, right off the bat, you've got Richard Thomas. And for those of you who um, weren't born in the 20th century, uh, that is John Boy from the Waltons. You had Robert Vaughn, uh, who everybody knows is, uh, well, not everybody. Hell, anybody probably doesn't even know who uh, the man from Uncle was. Oh, but, yeah, he uh, was a man from Uncle. I he forgot. was a man from Uncle. And he's, you know, again, well-established actor. John Saxon. Uh, you need a bad guy in the movie? He's your man. Other than Mike, he was the Michael Ironside before Michael Ironside. Oh, my God. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, we did not discuss this before, but uh, Mark, who designed the ship's lover, stole my thought right out of my head. I, I looked at him and I'm like, it's Michael Ironside. No. It's John Saxon, but yes. it looks like Michael Ironside. And you know what? I'm kidding you not. Next time you see Eric, I told him the same thing. I said, I would always get those two guys mm -hmm. mixed up. They're interchangeable. They could be the same person. And yeah, yeah Michael Ironside and John Saxon, same person. Uh, and if you, haven't, if you don't know who Michael Ironside is, go see the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Total Recall. Yeah, Total Recall. Well, uh, Starship Troopers. He was actually the only good part about that movie. Haven't seen it. Couldn't tell you for a reason. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, there, there's another one we could tear apart. <laughs> Although we may have to tie you down in a chair to watch it. Uh, 
George Papard. Uh, everybody knows him from uh, the A Team. He was um... okay, folks. We're back. We had a uh, we had a minor malfunction. Picking up where we left off, uh, I believe I was talking about who was I talking about? Was it George Papard? We're talking about yeah, George Papard, George A Team, Mr. A Team. Everybody probably knows him from the A Team. He played uh, God for life of me cannot remember the characters. Hannibal. Name. Hannibal Jones? Yeah, Hannibal Jones. There we go. Very nice, very nice. The other actors in this is uh, Darlene Flugel and, what, did I not say that right? No, I'm just like, really? That's your name? That's your name. Well, (laughs) hey, you know what? Can you change it to Fleming? Fleming Flugel. Flugel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't know who she is, but I've seen her in a lot of stuff. She's kind of a character actor. Uh, she was in, uh, the, the one movie I really remember her from was, uh, the movie To Live and Die in L.A. Uh, she played, uh, kind of like a cop informant in that movie. She was also in a movie that I mentioned on a previous podcast with, uh, Jeff Cloverfield Muncie. Uh, she was in a movie called Lock Up. And no way. She, yes. Did you remember Lock Up? Yeah. Like, yeah, she was, uh, that was Stallone's girlfriend. You saw her for about all of, uh, three total film minutes, but she was in that movie. I do remember that. And then there, of course, was, because we, and we didn't see enough of her in this movie, Sybil Danning. There was never enough of Sybil Danning in this movie. Where does one begin? This is where we actually need to have Brian Bullvi Miller for. Because <laughs> he knows all the B-grade movie actresses of the 70s and 80s. You know, when folks, we... if you have not seen this movie, the only reason to see this movie is Sybil Danning. Yes. And uh, I did love the fact that when we mentioned that we were going to do this, we ended up getting like a uh, like a three page dissertation from Mr. Miller about <laughs> Simple Dan. I'm like, I'm thinking only Brian could know this much about this person. Yeah, but that was that was awesome. I I loved it, and you know, and she was great. I mean, she well, actually, she was great to look at because uh, her acting, well, well, whatever. Well, she wasn't she wasn't hired to act. I don't think any of these guys were hired to act. Nobody. No, George Papard was the only one that was even making an attempt. He really was. I think all the alcohol he was drinking. You know what? I think that was real booze. I don't think they were watering that down at all. It it would have been for me. Um, I think that would have been part of my contract to take this get. Well, I, you know, I will say this, too. I've seen some pictures of her, and uh, she was born in 1947. And so she's she's up there, folks. I mean, she's definitely an AARP member. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to tell you guys, this lady holds up. She, um, she's, she's fine. Yeah, yeah. She, she definitely holds up. She, she's the I, reason to see the movie. That's yeah. it. Yeah, I don't know if she's had any work done. God knows. But you know what? <laughs> you think? But you know what? Even at that age, gosh, you know, you see some people that get some plastic surgery and that, and it actually makes them look worse. I've seen uh, several pictures of her in the last couple of years, and, I mean, she she looks very good. She's she's holding her own. Yeah, and, she's... And this is a classic. I mean, it's a Roger Corman flick, and Roger Corman is the king of... One of the kings of schlock movies, and he just cranks them out. He's still around cranking them out. I pulled yep. up his IMDb um, list, and he's he's still cranking these things out. But the thing is, you know, and this movie is not good, and we'll get into how not good it is. But this guy's a smart businessman. It cost him two million to make, most of which he had to pay George Papard and Robert Vaughn. <laughs> yes. 
to show up. Um, but he cleared twelve million on it. So we may diss on this movie, and there may be there are a lot of movies that are reviewed as brilliant and wonderful and and intellectual, and they don't make anything at the box office. This guy makes bank with yeah. schlock. Yeah, he did. He really did. And uh, I, I do have a few comments about that. Like I said, you've got a pretty you've got a pretty decent cast for this period of time. These are not these are let's put it this way, uh, we're going to do our Star Wars comparison. Yeah. Uh, but when you look at the cast in this movie, bear in mind it came out three years after Star Wars. The cast in this movie uh, compared to the Star Wars cast, no comparison. In 1980, well established, well known actors at this point: Richard Thomas, Robert Vaughn, John Saxon, George Pappard. You walk into this thinking this is going to be something spectacular. Everybody during this period of time who's been either watching TV or watching movies, you know these people. You've, yeah, se- you've seen them. You have seen these people for the last 15, 20 years in movies. Yeah, and they've, you know, Robert Vaughn is basically recreating his character from Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. But you're right. These are these are established Hollywood Solid B grade. I mean, they're they're not the A list. Oh, sure. Solid B grade actors. You've even got like the guy who plays Doctor Hephaestus, Sam Jaffe. Yeah. And there's another guy, the one who, Morgan Woodward. Yeah, yeah, he, Morgan Woodward. And there's one other, the guy, the old guy who gives the guy kid the ship, who gives um, Richard Thomas the ship. Zed. These guys are character actors. You've seen them, Zed. Thank you. You've mm-hmm. seen them everywhere. They're in tons of TV and movies. Yep. And, uh, okay, we got to do our first Babylon 5. There's a connection? Yep, absolutely. And you just said his name, Zed, Jeff Corey. That's right. He was in, in gosh, what was it, uh, the third season? He played, did he play the leader of the humans that supported the shadows? Yes, that was him. That was him. Ding, ding, ding. I was, like, sitting there the whole time going, where have I seen this guy? Yep. He was, he was, that was our Babylon 5 connection right there. But, again, I had to throw the B5 connection because, uh. That is our nest. Thank you, brother, because I came up with Bupkis. <laughs> nothing. I'm I'm sitting here going, I got zip on this one. I'm glad yep. you found it. But you're right. Yep. I can see him clear as day from uh, third season when when they go to uh, when they, when go, they to, go to the Shadow World to um, Zaradu. Zaradu. Yeah, Zaradu. Zaradu. What the hell was I saying? <laughs> Zaradu. <laughs> well, that's that's, that's like, the musical review planet. <laughs> Zaradu. That's the one that's right next to Seti Alpha 5. Right exactly. There. So, anyway, back to this film. Wow. We already, so, we already derailed ourselves. That's okay. And that, we're probably going to do that quite a bit in this review. Yep. Anyway. Oh, again, whoa, 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 wait, wait. One more thing. Oh, what? Yep. There's, there's three other people behind the scenes that become huge in movies. Yes. James Horner, who does the music, mm-hmm. done a ton of stuff. Gail Ann Hurd mm-hmm. and... Um, Cameron, uh, help me. James Cameron. James Cameron. They all were on this movie, and they credit this movie with giving them, well, not Horner so much, but Cameron and Hurd. This is where they met, and this is kind of where they got their chance. Right. In the very beginning of this movie, when you watch it, it starts out pretty good. You know, you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. That ship, you know, when you first see uh, Sador's ship coming in, the Death Star in, yeah. in, in the Death Star ripoff. Well, it or was the, or the Star Destroyer ripoff. It, oh, oh, you saw that too. I, uh, yeah. I thought it was just me. Just you, and oh, the hyperspace star-filled field. Yeah, 
that flies by you in the opening credits. Did you miss that? I never saw it. Never Never saw it coming. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the originality of that. And that was where I I almost thought, you know, where George Lucas was sitting in his room somewhere going, Where are my lawyers? Where are my lawyers? Lawyers? Where are my lawyers? Because it was. It was so obvious. But, um, but well, it was it it was the B team version of the oh, star. These guys, these guys couldn't find their rear end with both hands free and a flashlight in their mouth. These guys, they did. I mean, when you looked at who he had on his side, they made the stormtroopers look like Navy SEALs. <laughs> I mean, you're like, wait a minute, how many worlds did you conquer with these people? And the best line in the movie, the best line, I wrote it down, is when. John Saxon is complaining about his troops. Well, he recruited them. And he says, I have an army full of genetic mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) I'll write that one down. That's the best movie. That's the best line in the movie. But yeah, yeah. you're right. I'm like, really? At least the stormtroopers could hit something occasionally. Yeah, occasionally. And, you know, that's the problem with this movie from the get-go, is it doesn't know what it wants to be. It plays it straight, and then it throws in a little bit of laughs. There's some, there's a few scenes where I'm like, okay, yeah. they couldn't make up their mind, so they decided, we're going to play this straight. We really want to make a serious movie. And, you know, thank you for bringing that up, because I'm halfway through this movie, and I'm trying to figure out, are they trying to be funny, or are they yeah. actually trying? I, I couldn't tell. That's really what made this movie kind of bizarre for me because it's like they couldn't make up their mind. It was kind of like they were winging it as they went. Right in the script. Hey, you got page three ready? Exactly. That's what it almost seemed like. But anyway, the plot essentially is you've got this little planet called Akira, I believe it is. Yeah, which isn't Akira Kurosawa. uh, Of course not because that's not not what it was named after. Of course not. What are you kidding? So anyway, you've you've got this peaceful planet. And, you know, everybody's peaceful, everybody's nice, they all love each other. Next thing you know, you've got this, again, like this uh, this Star Destroyer, Super Star Destroyer type ship, you know, waltzing in saying, I'm here to take you over and you can't resist because I've got basically have the, the Death Star thing that can wipe out your planet. The and Stellar Converter. The Stellar Converter. This going, D- does it get Hulu? <laughs> does it stream Netflix? What is it? Well, What's that was a stellar converter. Do I need it to get cable? Well, that that's that's a good question. But the thing was, this is what I like. I'll be back in like what three weeks to lay claim. Mm. Well, why mm. can't you do it there? So he he's basically going to lay claim to this pretty much a pacifist planet. By the way, did you see any agriculture in this planet? Not a whole lot. It didn't look like it did. You know, from every scene that they showed, it's like okay, where are they growing the farms here? Because <laughs> I see it, it looked like Mars. To be honest with you. Mm-hmm. That being said, again, essentially a pacifist planet. Everybody's like, oh goodness, what do we do? Zed, evidently, Zed's from the old school of this planet at a time when uh, men were men and uh, you actually killed your enemies. He was one of those, well, we must fight. Uh, he rallies Shad, who I'm just, I can't say Shad. I'm just going to call him John Boy from now on. Which which I love the line, you're just a boy. I wanted him to go, no, I'm John Boy. Yeah, yeah. That's The movie would have went up two stars in my book right, right off the there. bat. If he would have said, my name's John Boy. Anyway. So Zed essentially was probably the last of the uh, the warrior cast, shall we say, of, of this uh, planet populated by the French. I mean, um, 
Sorry. <laughs> I just I, I just made that. I, that wasn't even in notes. I just made that up right wow. there. <laughs> you caught me on. You caught me <laughs> off guard with that one. You got to wipe the beer right off the screen, don't you? <laughs> I do. So so basically, Zed says I will go out and recruit mercenaries. I will recruit people to help us in our quest to protect us from. Sador, who's going to come take over our planet. And they have one spaceship. Shape light. Go on. Go with it. We're we're going to talk about this spaceship, folks. Well, the spaceship essentially is run by a, I guess, some type of AI computer. The name is Nell. Nell. Yeah. Nell. We'll talk Not about... Nell Carter. Not Nell Carter. So he's... It's the only ship that they have. It's evidently some type of cruiser-type ship that has armament and all this stuff. Right off the bat... When you see this spaceship, mm-hmm. I, I I really don't even know where to go at this point. This is where you have to decide, okay, were they trying to be serious or is this supposed to be a joke? That's a great point. Yeah, it's it's a cast off from the movie Flesh Gordon. It's a, We didn't need that ship for the movie Flesh Gordon, so yeah. we'll give it to Battle Beyond the Stars. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you not seen this movie, when you see the spaceship, you're like, okay, where are the pasties? It needs pasties. <laughs> Here's the thing, folks. You can go look at it on IMDb, on Amazon.com. It's on the cover of the DVD. Yep, it's on it's the cover. Right there. And you, and that's the point where you have to decide right then and there, is this a serious movie or are they really screwing with us at this point? I mean, when you look at all the other spaceships in the movie, his, I mean, like the one that Sador comes in, I mean, it is. It's like, okay, it's a, it's a knockoff of a Star Destroyer. Right. Okay. You see the other ships that all the other other mercenaries are flying. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I could see that stuff. And then you see the thing. He's you're flying breasts. It's like Admiral Akbar's wife with boobs. <laughs> Did you just make that up? Yes. Oh, wow. Bravo. Yeah. Look. Okay. It, those golf are, clap. Yeah. I'm sorry. If golf you, clap. For those of you who know what who Admiral Akbar is, mm-hmm. think of Admiral Akbar's head and then put yep. boobs underneath them. That's yep. spaceship. And you know what? If you don't believe me, Google it. Google. That'll be on the stars. Bring up the images, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The only ship worse was the catfish spaceship. The guy, the lizard guy, flew. That's Morgan Woodward. That guy was in Gunsmoke. I think it was. I know. He's in a ton of stuff. And you don't know him in this movie because he wears this. I mean, he's basically a big lizard in the whole movie, and he wears this lizard outfit. This guy was in Wagon Trail. He Raw was high. Yeah, big he, Valley. Virginian, Star Trek, Kung Fu. Yeah. And he was big time in, oh, Cool Hand Luke. Yeah. I mean, he was in a bunch of, uh, he was in a bunch of Westerns. He's big time Western, dude. Yeah. And according to IMBD, that guy is still alive. Mm -hmm. Dirt is not as old as this guy. Well, you know what's shocking to me is when I actually looked at George Papard died, I had no idea. Papard died at 65. I mean, that's. He died young. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it's getting younger as I get older, too. And 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 George Papard and and Robert Vaughn. If you haven't seen the movie, and again, we're we're doing this so you don't have to. Yeah. They basically play two of the characters straight out of Magnificent Seven. I mean, Robert Vaughn does nothing more than recreate his character right down to a scene where there's two little kids that that come up to him about talking you, to him about. Yeah. His, are you his a bad life. man? Yeah. Are you a bad man? Straight out of straight out of Magnificent Seven, and then. Right. Uh, Papard plays Steve McQueen's character, although I do want to know, did he roll a drunk for that hat that he was wearing? <laughs> yes. And he's not really a mercenary. He's pretty much a freighter pilot. 
and kind of like your uh, almost want to call him like he's he's basically the hand solo of this movie. Thank you. You know, pretty much. Yeah. And Sybil Danning uh, plays a Valkyrie, and boy, is she uh, a, she's got Val and Kiri. Holy they, cow! I don't know how they kept that costume on her so that it did not hit an R rating. Well, um, they they had to talk about the trivia, what they had to do to keep that costume on her. Oh, did they? Yeah, they had to do some major uh, major work on. Uh, oh God, where was I? I know I saw it, and it was. Um, Oh, yeah. According to an interview with uh, star Richard Thomas, the wardrobe department had a difficult time keeping the top of Sybil Danning's costume on and had to resort to using Band-Aids to prevent said top from slipping off. Yeah. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, let's put it this way. She doesn't need a life preserver. She'll never (laughs) die. She is her own Mae West. Yeah, she is. She is. uh, I mean, and she's a beautiful woman. She's Uh, held up. Yeah, she's definitely taking care of herself. Moving on to this, we have Richard Thomas, John Boy, mm-hmm. decides to try to save his planet. So he pretty much just goes, what, planet hopping, trying to find uh, mercenaries or people that will come fight for his cause. And lucky enough for him, he finds a whole bunch of people that are willing to fight for his cause for pretty much virtually no pay whatsoever because evidently life is really boring <laughs> out in out in the universe because um, Sybil Danny, who plays St. Exum, could have come up with a Valkyrie name. Her name is St. Exum in the movie, and she just wants to um, have some fun. She just wants to go, you know, have duels and fight people, so she's good with it. Cowboy came along mainly because John Boy saved him from some raiders. Mm-hmm. He really doesn't want to fight anybody, but he's doing it because, you know what, hey, I owe you one. Right. Uh, Robert Vaughn comes along. He plays Guilt, who is some... Uh, uh, an assassin, I guess. He's an assassin, universally renowned mercenary uh, who has all this money. That whole scene where he was sitting on his throne with the gold around him yeah. was a little cheesy, but hey, whatever. Uh, he decides to go along with it because uh, other than the little cave he's sitting in with all his gold, he says, I can't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so wanted. Uh, all over the universe, I can't go anywhere. So, uh, coming to help you out and getting a place to hide in a free mail sounds like a good deal. So he goes along with it. Uh, then you have um, uh, Cayman, that is the lizard dude, who uh, evidently comes along because Sador wiped out his entire race. So he's just willing to go along for the ride because he just wants revenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have Nestor. That's that's an interesting group there. There's there's like four or five of them, and they all seem to be kind of some symbiotic type of clones or something. Yeah, they're like clones or something. Like one feels, the other feels, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. They're just oh, you need our help by all means. We'll be happy to do it. Pay? Oh, not necessarily. Nah. So basically, nah. uh, John Boy was able to successfully recruit uh, some really good mercenaries for absolutely no money whatsoever. And they and, just all happened to be flying around where he could just stumble on them. Exactly. Again, it's one of those where you really have to suspend disbelief for this. Now, plot and character development, if you're looking for them, don't look here. Yeah, it ain't there. There is absolutely none whatsoever. Oh, and acting. <laughs> the the uh, Zombie acting. I kept saying, thinking the whole time I'm watching this movie, everybody's just collecting a paycheck. And that's really the interesting thing about this. There's There's two guys in here that I would say actually were acting. And one is George Pappard, and the other was probably John Saxon. 
I would agree. They and, tried. Yeah, outside of that, everybody else is there just to collect a paycheck. I mean, even Robert Vaughn, who had, you could probably, you know what, I think, I think Schwarzenegger had more lines than Conan than Robert <laughs> Vaughn did. I could be wrong, but. I gotta read this shite? Okay. I, How much know, of this honestly, do I have? He really, when you think about it, he really had one brief, he did not have that much. No, no. Prepared, other than other than Richard Thomas, who, you know, keep in mind, John Boy from the Waltons is supposed to carry an action flick. Yeah. 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 Folks, it doesn't work on so many levels. But again, Corman was making a ripoff or, or an homage, if you want to be generous, to Star Wars. He was making bank. He made bank on this movie big time. And it shows. It, it, it just shows throughout. It really does. And uh, let's talk about that a little bit. I did a little bit of research before we started the movie. and Oh, wait. Uh, forgot two people. The uh, Hot Pockets. Oh, God, yes. There's a great scene. <laughs> the Hot Pockets. I forgot about them. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. The Hot Pockets. Yeah, where, the, they roast the, where they roast the weenies. Yeah. The Hot Pockets. Well, they roast the weenies and they roast the Sonic Tank. Yeah. Yeah, they're these two bald sidekicks of which one was it? The lizard dude? Yeah, Cayman. Yeah, they were the sidekicks of the Cayman dude. Oh, and we can't forget the guy with the uh, the chainmail thong that had, I mean, he was hardly in the movie. You saw him a little bit. At one point during the action scene, he threw a spear into somebody. Yeah, with his butt cheek sticking out? With his butt, yeah, that, that. yeah, that was, uh, okay, didn't need to see that part either. Yeah. But, uh yeah, the two, you had these two guys, and they were, and I love this, they were called the Kelvins. <laughs> you caught that too. Yeah, I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. generate a lot of heat. Yep. So much so that you can roast weenies. And, and again, this is one of those movies where you, you see they try and throw these kind of humorous scenes where the cowboy's roasting his hot dogs next to these two aliens, and you're thinking, okay. They're going to try and play for laughs. Nope, we're going right back to serious. And that was it. It was, and it's just, it's forced. It's mm-hmm. not supposed to be serious. And, Thank and, you. And that's what got me about this. It is it's very like, forced, you're right. They could not make up their mind. Mm-mm. And, uh, but, you know, we talked about a little bit about the budget. And I did a little bit of research, and what I pulled up on Wikipedia which, again, I'm taking for face value, I was a little surprised. I wanted to see, because this came out, for those of you who don't know, this came about three years after Star Wars. You can kind of see, after Star Wars came out, and we've talked about George Lucas, and we all have issues with George Lucas, but I will give him this. He pretty much was the you know defibrillator of science fiction. Yep. He pretty much brought it back to life. Yep. He made it. Um, if not profitable, but at least given the opportunity to make a decent sci-fi movie and see what happens. There was a rash of sci-fi that came out after this movie, including Alien. I mean, we talked about that once before with Alien. Uh, would Alien have been made had it not been for Star Wars? Because no. Alien came out after two years after Star Wars. So, right. you know, what I'm getting at is when I looked at the budget for Star Wars, which Honestly, I was a little bit surprised. Was it the, six million? Eleven million. Eleven. Okay. Which you know, by today's standards, you it's sit there and think, I mean, hell, that's somebody's salary. Yeah. 
Yeah, you, you're like, well, that's not even going to buy you Brad Pitt. I honestly was kind of surprised. I thought I thought it was actually a lot more than that. Yeah, but it wasn't. But this movie, the budget was two million. And and you're right. This movie was there was a ra- there were a rash of them. I mean, even Disney got in on it with that god awful movie Black Hole. Please, do oh, you good. that one. No, I saw that. I yeah. actually, I had to take a date to see that movie. She wanted to see it. That was the first, last, and only date we had, by the way. Yeah, that that did it. But yeah. it was, it was whole. The whole everybody was trying to cash in on Star Wars, right? In this, and that's and, what this is. Yeah, and this really did. You really saw the ripoff of Star Wars on this. Uh, the budget, as as you said, most of it pretty much went to uh, Vaughn and Papard in terms of their salaries. Because you can pretty much tell for the rest of the movie, pretty bad in terms of special effects. We're being generous when we call them special effects, folks. Oh, my God. The sound effects were horrible. Well, they were cobbled together from, let me see, I heard a, a jet airplane. I heard Star Trek special effects. Uh, I could go on. But they just cobbled together the best of uh, outer space special effects and used them. It, it was just one of those where you did. You really thought... The, all they were doing was trying to capitalize off of Star Wars. And that's okay. I mean, he and, made bank again. He made money off. Oh of yeah, he made he. Well, you figure what he spent two million and made twelve. Yep, that's a hell of a good return. Uh, I'd take it. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, he's if you're an investor, this guy's gonna he's gonna he's gonna do you well. He's gonna do you well, pure and simple. And that, and I guess you know that's the thing. You got to look at this and you think, yeah, we're reviewing a crap movie and we're telling you don't go see it. But from a business standpoint, it's hard to argue with those numbers. Well, it's hard to argue with the numbers, but the fact of the matter remains is that it, it's one of those movies where he threw it out at the right time. Mm-hmm. And you started seeing after, and again, I don't know how they did, but I noticed after the Harry Potter movies started coming out, like after the first and second one, you started seeing a bunch of knockoffs. Oh, yeah. A lot of made-for-DVD stuff, but a lot of knockoffs started coming off from that. And, you know, no-name kids that were in it, I'm sure they made money on it, but that was the thing. You saw something that was new, you know, that was new, it was out of the ordinary, and next thing you know, people are trying to copy off of it. This is a good example. Yep. Um, I think there there was another movie I saw, and I it might have came around about the same time, it was called Crawl. Oh, that, wow. Yeah, that's another that's another stinker too. And I remember seeing that and Well that was after wasn't that after Conan? Crawl Crawl was I think gosh, I wanna say Crawl was like right around well Conan was eighty two. Okay. Maybe it was before or right around the same time. Well Crawl was kinda of one of those where it didn't know if it wanted to be uh, an action or a sci-fi movie, or if I wanted to be, it was basically a space movie. Oh, Crawl was 1983. Okay. So okay. Crawl was kind um, of like the internet. Yeah, Crawl was pretty much a kind of a combination of space and fantasy. Yeah, was pretty much what that one was. And, and we're not reviewing that one. No, never. Mm-mm. It seemed like after Star Wars, everything else literally. It was like dragging. It was like all of a sudden they became an anchor. It's like, good Lord, what are you doing? This is and, horrible. And the only thing that did it right and did it well uh, that that's coming to mind, and listeners might uh, email in with some other thoughts on this one, uh, it goes back to Alien. Because Alien took it a different direction, but they 
they were the only ones who took the plot, the scripting, special effects, the actors. They're the only ones who did it well, putting putting it around a sci-fi type genre. Everybody else was just cashing in. Right. And that's what this seemed like. This was another one of those movies that uh, they were just trying to cash in. They were just yep. trying to make buck. And if you're if you're the producer, that's all you're interested in. You're not interested. Yeah. yeah, you're not interested in trying to make some make some landmark movie or, yeah, I've got issues with Lucas. I don't like Cameron. I mean, again, their egos are big, but you know what? You gotta you gotta give them credit for the fact that when they go to make a movie, they're trying to also make. I don't want to say a statement, but they're try- every time they make a movie, it's in their mind. I want this to be a monument. I want this to be something that people always look back at. Whereas Corman is just like, I don't give a hell what it looks like. Am I going to make a buck? Right. I think Cameron and some of these guys, they don't care if it makes money or not. They just want it to be something that people will remember. And I can admire that about Corman. And He's I can. a capitalist. I yeah. love that about him. Right. And I do, too. He's an unrepentant capitalist. Sure. He's laughing all the way to the bank. Exactly. There's a few of the directors that are out there. Lucas, Ridley Scott, uh, James Cameron. You know what? Michael Mann. Michael Mann. These guys, if they make a movie, people are going to go see. You know why? Because, oh, my God, Ridley Scott made it. Oh, my gosh, or John Cameron made it. We'll go see it because, well, if they made it, it's got to be good. Well, and and I've noticed watching the NCAA, they're really advertising uh, Prometheus. Are they really? Oh, yeah. They're running Prometheus trailers during the NCAA basketball games. This is the only movie I'm seeing that's getting that kind of play. Well, gee, you wonder why it's a man cave movie. And, you know, the one guy who, going back to this movie uh, about at why everybody's here, Vaughn, Papard, Sybil Danning, John Saxon, they all know why they're here. The one guy who doesn't know why he's here, because he's taken it serious the whole time, Richard Thomas. Yeah. He he thinks that he's going to have to carry this movie. And, you know, he doesn't. No. He, he really can't, does. He cannot act. And he couldn't act in uh, The Waltons either. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not, he's not a good actor. You know, you'd think after all the money, I'd get that birthmark removed because it's so <laughs> distracting. You know, when we got to the scene where he and um, his girlfriend start talking about sex. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm. Richard yeah. Thomas is having a kissing scene and they're talking sex? Well, That's the most uncomfortable part of the whole movie for me. Well, that you know, that whole scene when he goes to, when Zed sends him off to uh, Dr. Uh, what the hell is his name? The guy that plays Sam Jaffe. Uh, Dr. Hephaestus. Hephaestus. Yeah, a little well, Dr. Greek callback there. Yeah, he's got this uh, space station that is pretty much just him, his daughter, and a whole bunch of androids that he evidently built and his daughter maintains. And I'll leave it at that. I got nothing. Yeah, it's... I got nothing. It's weird. It's like, I guess <laughs> the whole idea to send him out there was to... Uh, evidently, Dr. Hephaestus could help us out. He has weapons. He can do all this stuff. Well, as we get later in the movie, and I've got a couple of choice sound clips from that scene, Dr. <laughs> Hephaestus... You know, the one thing about the androids, it was nice to see that we could keep some mimes in some work. Well, not just mimes, but, you know, these guys can make great break dancers, too. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> 
I seriously, I, did you I, see some of the moves they did? And I, they had it. They had it down with the sound effects and everything. It was awesome. I bow to your brilliance on this one. I'm telling you, it, you're you are absolutely right. I need another beer. And <laughs> we need a lot of beers to get through. That was the thing. I'm watching this movie, and I'm thinking. I don't have enough alcohol to get through this damn thing. So anyway, so John Boy gets inside of Nell. That sounded terrible. I know. What? what? <laughs> well, that's the I'm name sorry. of the. That's the name this of the. This is the PG. The maybe PG thirteen. But that's the, it's the name of the spaceship. The spaceship is. I mean, he keeps calling her Nell, and Nell is. So anyway, he gets inside the spaceship. <laughs> that's called Nell, and they fly off to Doctor Hephaestus because. I'm sorry. I'm going to take a break for a minute and laugh my brains out. <sighs> All right, I'm back. So anyway, where was I? We, oh yeah, that's right. Before inside you inside Nell. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, before, uh, before. Shad, the fish was inside Nell. Wait, yeah, that did not work either. Yeah, Shad gets inside Nell and he uh, is flying off to see Dr. Hephaestus because according to Zed, this dude has weaponry and all this stuff and can help us out. So when he finally gets there, he finds out that Hephaestus really isn't interested in helping because he's pretty much saying, eh, you know, your planet's screwed. There's nothing you can do about it. But you know what? My daughter's lonely. She doesn't have anybody around. And we need to repopulate the, the space station. So guess what? You've been recruited. To the conjugal suite. Did you the, love that oh, one? Oh, like I said, we didn't discuss this before the show. You're, you're stealing all my stuff, dude. Stop. I can't help it. You're you might get there before me on the mark. You're mind melding me. This is terrible. Actually, it's kind of cool though. What father? This is kind hmm. of weird. this. This dude's like really eager for his daughter to start breeding. Yeah, that's weird. And what was that whole thing? What exactly was he in? He was kind of he become much... sort of uh, a hybrid he... android. Kind is he of... like a cyborg himself? Because all you see is his head, and he's in a machine. Well, so. Well, I just it, have to assume that's basically the only way he's staying alive. Well, it's it, talk about plot disconnects. Oh, and yes, folks, we'll say there's a plot, but there's massive disconnects. Again, uh, character development and plot, a little thin. As the thing goes, this pretty this thing pretty much starts ending out as you know, Sador comes back. He's going to lay claim to the to the planet, and of course, we have essentially the. The final, what, maybe 10, 15 minutes of Star Wars where we're going to send all of our fighters against this massive, I'm just going to call it a freaking Star Destroyer because that's what it was. It was a Star Destroyer with the Death Star laser cannon on it. That the, sounds good. The the Stellar Converter. I want Hulu if I'm getting a Stellar Converter. There you go. So essentially he comes over there and we have this big battle. And don't you love it? He doesn't send all his fighters out at once. No, just a few here and there. Yeah. And everybody dies except the two people that I really wanted to die in this movie. John Boy and his girlfriend. Yeah, they were the only two that had to survive. Okay, you know what? Let's go back for a second. Oh? There's a part, for those of you who actually are going to watch this movie. On Netflix, it's streaming. It streams on Netflix. Get it now before it's too late. <sighs> you know what? Put it on your bucket list, folks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here's the part that I love. There is a scene during the battle. Ships are flying around, whatever. There's at one point, you all of a sudden, you see these little things flying out of the Death Star, Star Destroyer, whatever the hell it is. And you hear Nell go, oh, gosh, uh, Shad, those are nuclear missiles. The only thing you can do is outrun them. 
okay, I'm good with that. I can buy that. Outrun the nuclear missile. So what does Richard Thomas do? Shad, John Boy? Well, he does what I would do if I was being chased by a nuclear missile. He swings around. Uh, he gets behind uh, Sador's Death Star and does the classic thing. He brings the missiles around, follows him, and at the last minute he pulls up. And the missiles, of course, don't follow him because they're, ho- they're hooked onto the, uh, the engine of the Death Star, and they hit the engine, and they just take out that engine. And nothing happens. Did I mention it was a nuclear missile? Yeah, did I mention nothing happens? Yeah, that was the part. So In the, in the wait, in the, because I, I get to say it, in the booby ship. <laughs> the booby ship. The booby ship. But wait, there's more. We're just going to skip through all the other crap on the the ground assault because that was got awful horrible. You know clips. what? Let's let's do clips. Let's, clips. We're we're up to clips because ah. uh, actually I just before we do clips real quick I want to talk real quick about the very end part of this movie. Just so we know, we all found out that the nuclear missiles that yes. they launched at John Boy yes yes took out an engine but didn't destroy the ship. But it's, again, it's one of those last-minute things where we have to destroy the ship before it blows up our world. What they do is they land Nell, the booby ship, on top of Sador's ship. They go to self-destruct. And, of course, John Boy and his girlfriend launch off in their... Uh, in their I spa- beg your pardon? Yeah. Well, John Boy <laughs> and his girlfriend... <laughs> wow. They escape in the escape pod. Thank you. I probably need to be careful about saying this, but what exactly did Nell have when she self-destructed that the two nuclear missiles didn't, didn't have? have? Yeah, because they had two nukes hit, I mean, because they shot two of them at them. Mm-hmm. I figured one would do. Two of them, all it took out was one engine. But you then they answer for that one. But they land the booby ship on there. She self-destructs, and, the, and you know, and the entire Super Star Destroyer blows up. I'm like, okay. Evidently, Nell can really rock your world if you set it off. You know what I mean. All right, clips. 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 We're going to clips. Clip one, or clip zero. I'm calling this one clip zero. We're going to clip zero. We're going to clip zero. This uh-huh. is just a quick clip to tell you what, uh, when John Boy got on Nell. That's, that that's, you know what, you just cannot review this <laughs> without turning it into a double entendre. I, it's terrible. There's All a right. ton of them in this movie. I know. Oh, my God. Sybil Danning's in the movie. What are you going to do? All right. So here we got clip zero. This is when John Boy. <laughs> I just can't say it. So he gets in the ship and he says, hey, Nell, I'm going to play it right now. Here we go. Are you there, old girl? Nobody calls me that but Zed. Sorry. This isn't going to be just another planetary joyride, you know. I know that, Nell. I'm going to do my best not to let you down. I mean, she sounds like my grandmother. God rest her soul. <laughs> She's cranky. I'll just leave it at that. And you heard that voice throughout the entire movie because, honestly, she that, that ship was almost a major character in the movie. That that ship actually had probably more dialogue than most of the characters. Oh, yeah. Aside yeah, from you're right. Good point. Yeah. I mean, so. Great point. Uh, she, it, which is kind of sad because you actually had to listen to that voice. And, and all you saw was this sort of glowing ball with duct tape wrapped around it. Yep. Pretty much. As the brain of the ship. And, and that's the other thing that we didn't touch on. The set design is beyond bad. Yeah. It's, it's really bad. 
It really is. And like I said, when they when they made the comment uh, mention in IMBD that you know the you know most of the budget went to the salaries of Robert uh, Vaughn and George Party, like yeah, yeah, I can see where it did. Absolutely. So anyway, all right, clip one. Clip one, I love this part because this is the scene when John Boy goes to uh, Dr. Hephaestus to get help and finds out that he's actually not going to get any help because this is what Dr. Hephaestus has to say to John Boy. We're going to play that. He's going to get num-nums? Yep, he's going to play that right now. All right. Your planet is doomed, and I have other plans for you. Other plans? This station was built for many. It remains a hollow and lonely place. You've met my daughter. Yes? Wait a minute. You, you don't mean that you want me to breed with your daughter. And, and the whole thing is when you hear this clip, folks, that's the way Richard Thomas, John Boy slash Shad, the fish... <laughs> Delivers his lines the entire movie. Exactly. It is. It doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any worse. It's just monotone. It's very monotone. Now, I love this part because this is after when he he sends John Boy out. I had to capture this clip because I thought, oh, my God, what kind of father does this? And I love the line because it's great. I'm going to play it now. It's it's clip two, and this is after he sends John Boy out to, like, go breathe with his daughter. God, I need another drink. So (laughs) I'm going to play it now. Saunders, prepare the conjugal suite. Fresh bedding, everything. Oh, my God. I never got a conjugal suite. I never did either. Even when I got married, I didn't get a conjugal suite. I didn't even get a honeymoon suite. You know why? Because I couldn't afford it. Evidently, if my planet was being destroyed... I might have got I might have gotten a conjugal suite. All right, clip three. This is where you first meet George Papard, also known as Cowboy. This clip pretty much sets up pretty much how he is throughout the whole movie. So we're gonna play that now. Oh, I'm a poor cowboy. No I've done wrong. This is Space Cowboy. S O S. Made it. And I just want to say real quick here. Yeah. You know, the sound effects that you heard in the background, yep. if they could have actually made those sound effects throughout the, you know, as not a background, but as part of the real movie, it might have enhanced this thing because those actually sounded pretty good. They they did. Compared to? It's considered. Yeah, because you know what? The reason I bring that up, because I'm going to play this clip now. So you can hear during the battle scene what the sound effects of the lasers and everything sounded like. So I'm going to play clip four right now, just oh, so you know what I'm talking about. Wait, before we do clip four, all right? You, you, you tell me you didn't sit there the whole time when he's saying I'm Space Cowboy. You, you, you didn't have Steve Miller's song ripping through your head every time you saw him. No, you did. <laughs> I'm a Space Cowboy. No, I said no. I had I had to say no because I actually I did. <laughs> I was like, what? I know. That's I'm aging myself when I say that. I'm a lover. I'm a fighter. I'm a... <laughs> wow. Did the song come out before the movie, or did the movie come out before the song? I... Uh, the, no, the song came out before the movie. Okay. Then then it was a ripoff. No, they, they did that. So anyway, clip four. Just okay. to give you an idea, this is, just, this is nothing but sound effects. This just gives you an idea of 
keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, this movie came out three years. Three. Three years after Star Wars. So I'm going to play that right now. Yeah, that's how bad that was. I mean, I, I heard better sound effects on Atari, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I remember Cinder going, really? This is this is it? This is what you can it, do? It, it, all the sound effects with with a, with one or two exceptions, like the one you 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 played in clip three. Okay, that's a seven forty seven. Or what the hell is that? Yeah, and clip three, like I said, you know, like you hear it in the background, it's and it's so, it sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's fine. But then when they actually would do like some of the battle scenes when they're outside, the spaceships are flying. You're kind of like, oh my and, god, this is horrible. And Steve, please tell me I'm not alone. You. you I'm watching the battle scenes, and it takes up the last 15 minutes of the movie. I'm like, please stop. Somebody gets shot and blown up. Please end it now. Well, it part, part of it is... forever. Well, not, not only that, they kept showing the same sequences over oh, and over. Because that's all they had. Yeah. And by the way, for everybody, if we didn't say it earlier, we'll just reiterate it. Everybody but John Boyd and his girlfriend die. Okay, there you go. Right. We ruined the movie for you. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Everybody dies. Yep. And speaking of which, we're going to go to clip clip five. This is the uh, – I like this part because for those of us who drink, we can appreciate we can appreciate this part. George Papard had, up to this point, stayed on the planet to uh, consolidate the ground defenses. If that's your story, you're sticking to it. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Well, he finally realizes at this point it's like, Evidently, they need every ship up there to try to fend off uh, Sador. And he knows when he goes up there, he's like, well, I got to go. And he knows it's a suicide mission. Yeah. But, but he's going to go anyway. For those of us who like our whiskey, bourbon, and scotch, clip five is the, uh, the clip here. So I'm going to play it right now. Well, remember the Alamo. You forgot the ice and soda. <sighs> no, no, I didn't. I love that great I, line. That you know what? That's a great little line. Great line, and it's almost, best line in the movie. You no, know, it's no one of the best lines in the movie, and you almost wonder if it was ad libbed. I I would not be surprised if it. I would say two thirds of this movie's script was ad libbed. He elevates this movie into something that is barely watchable. Right, and what's what's really kind of sad about it is. If they would have given him more of a part in this movie, it may have actually been better because he actually, him and Robert Vaughn were probably, or I'm sorry, not Robert Vaughn, but Saxon were really the two best actors in this movie. Oh, and they chewed scenery. They really did. And God, just give these guys more. Right. But the whole thing was devoted to Richard Thomas, who just could not, for the life of his, you know, could not carry this movie at all. You know, John Boy goes to space. All right, I'm just going to say, I'm going to put this last clip in. This is a scene when uh, uh, Woodward, Cayman or Claymore, I can't even remember his name at this point. Cayman. Cayman. After the island. Yeah, when he, thank you. After the island, when he decides to do his kamikaze charge. Oh, no, not the battle cry. The battle cry. Oh, (laughs) the Vienna Boys Choir battle cry. Who thought this was a good idea? 
it's one of those where I'm just like, oh my yep. god. You, so you know, and again, folks, we did not do pre-show on this. We did at not, all. Not at I all. I wrote down right here, and I'm going to quote: <laughs> "Vienna Boys Choir Lizard hyphen." <laughs> battle cry and that is exactly what i wrote in my pre-show notes and i did not share these with steve no that, that's, that's great all right so we're going to play that right now so our all listeners right. enjoy all right That should have busted a blood vessel or a lower part of the body. I was standing there with a glass of Cabernet when I was watching this, and the glass shattered. Just so you know. <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm... What he was saying, Lazuli? Lazuli. What okay. the hell is that? I guess I... if there was some character development, it might have meant something. It was insane. It's stuff like that in this movie that they just... It didn't make any sense. I got nothing. And the, I'm surprised you picked out this many clips. I really am. I got to give it to you for that. Well, you know, I had to really. Do you know how many. That movie was 100 minutes long. Oh, yes. I, 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 was, I was on there for two hours getting clips, just so you know. You, Folks, you I. You combat pay on that one. I did. I got combat pay. Because you know what? It could have been a good movie. You When you watch this movie, if you go and actually watch it, you will come away wondering. Did the director say act really bad? Because again, like I said, everybody that's in this movie are established actors. This isn't the first time they're in front of the camera. These are established actors. You know, all of these guys, may, except for, uh, what's her name? Uh, Darlene, uh, Flugel. She's probably, I mean, she's the youngest one, but everybody else at that point, hell, you know, they have, they have paid their dues. You know, these are guys at that point, they are at the twilight of their career. They should have been putting out stellar performances. Nope. But I think it's one of those where they're like, well, hell, if everything if everything else is going to the salaries, and maybe Corman told them, it's like, you know, maybe this is supposed to be a campy version. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know well, what they were trying to get with this movie. Yeah, and, and that's the problem with this movie. It doesn't, it's not... And someday I hope we do Ice Pirates because Ice Pirates came out three years, four years later with Robert Urich and a bunch of well-known actors who go on to do really good stuff. Oh, um, the guy who plays, um, yeah, he plays in uh, the biker TV show on AMC, Ron Perlman. Oh, Ron Perlman, yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's a a bunch of people like that in the movie that you recognize. It plays for laughs. It knows what it's going for. The problem with this movie beyond bad script bad acting it doesn't know what it wants to do right so there are a few scenes where it's trying to play tongue-in-cheek and and comedy but then you've got richard thomas who by god he i really believe he decided he was going to make this his breakout attempt at being a serious movie actor well you know he came up really short on that one yeah he uh he pretty much knows or or, uh those dived on it it's Mm -hmm. just it was terrible I mean, and that was like you said, he was monotone through the whole thing. He never, he never showed any other emotion. No. At all. He was horrible. And that's one thing that always got me about when you watch certain actors. It's like, you're not acting. You're just kind of like up there reading lines. You're not really doing anything. And I've got, and I've got a list of actors that are like that, that just, 
you're you're not this you're you're the same person in every single movie you're in. Exactly. And and, and sometimes that's fine. That's what you want to go see. But in this case, he just he, I really think he thought he turned in a good performance. That's well, the scary part. If that's what he thought, man, that was a major failure on his part. All right, well, when I look at this movie, I have to say, as bad as it was, I can't find too many redeeming qualities, so I'm going to have to give this a, a nine Cloverfield. I'm I'm right there with you, Steve. It's a, it's a nine Cloverfield. The only reason it doesn't get a ten Cloverfield and go all Cloverfield is because, at least in Cloverfield, the monster ate the whiny 20-somethings. There you go. Awesome. Folks, this is why we reviewed this movie. So you don't have to. You don't have to watch this. If you have nothing else to do for the rest of your life, if you really need to sit down and watch this, you know what? By all means, don't let us stop you, but you've been warned. You've been warned. That's it for episode seven. Are we on Lucky seven? number seven. Lucky number seven. Holy cow. This show, by the way, was dedicated to our good and dear friend, Jeff Cloverfield Muncy, who could not join us for tonight, which is why we did this great and fabulous film. Jeff, this one is for you. This is me, your host, Steve Michaels, and my good and dear friend, Mark, who the hell designed this ship, Slover, <laughs> signing off. Goodbye. Come check us out at mancavemoviesreview.libsyn.com. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>